Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back and I hope you have had a good couple of days and I hope that you t- you really enjoyed Monday's episode. I have been trying to work on my sleep and structure in my day, but huh, lockdown. The first time round, my structure in my day was something that went and going into lockdown this time, I am trying to have a different perspective on it. I'm trying to have a different aim for the time. Um, I ate way too much chocolate <laughs> first time round. It kind of co- coincided with Easter. This time round, I'm really thinking about my well-being holistically so not just my mental well-being but physical as well so sleep fitness nutrition all of that kind of stuff is is on my uh, top of my priorities for this lockdown in November and and I guess beyond that <laughs> as well but I don't know it, the way my mind works I like to have like a, a time period to focus for I have it when I'm in the gym you know, even if we're working for a set period of time, I like to break it into chunks of a certain number. I think it's just how my mind works. So having that time frame to focus on just for me, I think makes it feel, I don't know, more more achievable maybe that after that, if I want to go back to, I don't know, eating loads of chocolate and um, binge watching Netflix, then I can. Although saying that, I have just been binge watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, <laughs> all week, or the last couple of weeks. Uh, so yeah, no real change there. But anyway, I hope that you are doing well, and I would encourage you, whether you're in a lockdown, if you're in the UK, uh, or however things are where you are, just to think about how you're viewing it, what you want to focus on for yourself, and that could be some kind of self-development some kind of change or it could just be getting through each day and being kind to yourself and whatever it is that tuning into your mind and body tells you that you need I encourage you to have the grace towards yourself to listen to that which can be tricky sometimes (laughs) but that that's what I'm focusing on one of the other other things that I, that I love and really does have a massive benefit for me is music and having a kitchen dance party, which is one of my favourite ways to listen to music and is what I'm going to do as soon as I get off um, recording this. And so I'm really excited to share today's episode with you. We're joined by Chris, who is a music therapist, and we're really sort of diving into music therapy generally um, and the benefits of music. But I, I do want to add a quick disclaimer that this maybe has a slightly different feel to some of our other conversations in that it's it's I guess more a a kind of conversation between two professionals and maybe a bit clinical so sometimes we're talking about populations so kind of um, groups of people who maybe have the same condition or the same experience so some of the language maybe uh, is a bit more kind of clinical and we do geek out on music therapy and the way it works a little bit so I found it really interesting and I hope that you do too as well but just to let you know as a sort of heads up it yeah maybe has a slightly different feel but I do think there are a lot of takeaways and practical things that you can apply for yourself and 
I definitely came away from this conversation feeling more motivated to pick up my instruments. Um, I've played a few through my life and actually have a keyboard right next to me, which um, because of the type I have, it's a little bit trickier to use. Um, Anyway, (laughs) you don't need to know that, but it's something that I definitely, I enjoy consuming music. I do enjoy creating music. And so I definitely felt inspired to pick up my instruments again and do that. I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Chris and I will be back after. Hi everyone and welcome back and I'm really really happy to welcome this week's guest Chris to the podcast so Chris welcome and if you could tell us a little bit about you. All right well I live across the pond from you I work in the U.S. and I'm a music therapist. I grew up in Kentucky you know where fried chicken is and stuff like that so there I fell in love with music at an early age. I had parents that uh, we I think Our best estimate is by the time I was five, I had seen The Grateful Dead about 50 times. So they played a big role in my life. And as I became a teenager, I started to find my own music and played in bands and different stuff like that, um, which led me to find out about music therapy. So uh, we can talk more about how I got to there if that's something that you think your listeners would be interested in. But basically, as music therapists, I use music to help with the healing, recovery, or uh, growth and development process of all kinds of different people and different populations. And other than that, I'm a dad, I am a friend, I have a lot of musical hobbies as well, but I like to fix things up around the house and uh, learning how to grill and, you know, things like that. But during coronavirus, it's been a lot of family time, so just Mm. a lot of a lot of fun family hangs recently. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's definitely a bit of a positive from the, the whole thing, having that enforced family yeah. time. Yeah. It's been great. I mean, there's been a lot of stress about how do I make sure I am working well from home, getting a lot done, even though I kind of feel like I've had my hands tied behind my back a little bit mm. with being able to do things. And I have been navigating telehealth a whole lot, but the big positive is even though it can be a little chaotic to be at home, it's been, it's been great. And if making music over the internet was even slightly easier, um, which I'm sure it will be, I'm sure this has supercharged a lot of tech advances. Um, because I can't imagine even 20 years ago, this would have been impossible. So even where we're at now, I was able to do a lot and work with a lot of people. The hardest part is making music at the same time. So a lot of my improvisational or approaches that required a little bit more interaction within the music had to take a backseat for some of my more behavioral approaches that are, could be things that are call and response or some of my discussion based experiences and things like Mm -hmm. that. So I'm not sure how nerdy you're, People will want to get down the rabbit (laughs) hole, but I can talk about approaches and ways that people conceptualize music therapy. I think um, uh, your people are probably a lot more interested in that than the average bear. So that could be cool as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'd love to kind of dive into the nitty gritty of kind of music therapy and, and how it works and why it works and all of that. Um, but we also love a good like personal story. 
So yeah. yeah, how did you get into it? Obviously kind of growing up with that musical background, but was there anything in particular that kind of prompted this move into music therapy specifically? Yeah, well, it was very serendipitous for me. Um, I feel as if it was, you know, almost like a religious path that was chosen for me. But it was serendipitous in the fact that I was a high school senior. I was playing in rock and metal bands, and I also did, like, the school bands. I played trumpet, and I played a lot of guitar and things like that. So I had, like, zero desire to go to college because uh, I was like, if I'm going to go to college, I might as well try and make it with my band, right? Mm. So um, the only other thing I was possibly interested in was I really liked English and creative writing, but even that was one of those things. Both of those both of those career paths are incredibly challenging. Um, and I mean, looking at myself now, I was probably more just an average high schooler. I don't think I had some like exceptional talent that was going to be the next, you know, whatever to be picked up on The Voice or American Idol or something. Mm. Um, so uh, my plan was probably just to work and to figure things out and I don't know I don't know what my plan would have been but luckily my senior year of high school a lot of my friends had taken this class called um, experience-based career education and that class I took it because it seemed really cool and half of the day we did block scheduling so I would go three days a week I would go to a day class two days B day class and then flip-flop so every every half day of an A day, I would get the whole afternoon off campus. So as a high schooler with a car, I was like, yeah, <laughs> this sounds great. Like, I didn't want to be here anyways. So, which is funny because now I'm like a much better student, but in high school I was not. But um, I'm from Lexington, Kentucky, which is a, in Kentucky, there are a couple of cities um, and I've lived in both of them. So uh, Lexington's a kind of medium-sized uh, U.S. city and of about, I think it's roughly about 200,000 people. So it's got a lot of regular jobs. There's mm -hmm. bakers, doctors, lawyers, you know. The list they gave you of places you could shadow was like every typical job. And I was looking and then music was on the list and it was like music educator and it was my band teacher and I was like, ugh. I don't want to stay at school and shadow my own band teacher, like <laughs> boring. So um, then music therapist was on the list and it was at um, Eastern State. I think that it was just called Eastern State Hospital at the time. Uh, it's gone through many names because it was super old. And in the 1800s, it was even called a lunatic asylum, mm -hmm. um, which is super interesting because it, when I first went there and observed music therapy, they were still on their very old campus with buildings from the 1800s. Yeah. And it was very cool to see all the old rooms they could show us a tour. And even the, you'll find it funny, the guy who's head of the volunteer service, he's like, check out this room. This is where we used to do lobotomies. And I was like, oh, this is so wild. Um, but they had an interesting set of programming. I didn't know anything about music therapy. I just saw it on the list, thought the two words clicked so that makes sense music's there therapeutic right their programming was really cool um it's a large 
regional psych facility and most of the clientele were people that had pretty severe issues trying to function in a typical society so a lot of things like uh, schizophrenia borderline bipolar 2 anything with active psychosis mm. so a lot of this clientele was kind of like frequent flyers regulars and usually it was like the cycle was did well got out had some crisis or quit taking their meds back mm. in and it was kind of you know like which is familiar anyone who works in that kind of population knows that and so how it works is it's almost set up like a school day there so they have like classes and they choose like which classes they're going to go to and they have like i think there's even a school bell if i remember so it's like ding and you go to the next class and there's hall change and stuff like that and um i did the music therapy class and right away i was just totally blown away by the fact that this awesome lady could sit at the piano and get a group of people that are I mean they're going through it there's some people mm -hmm. who sa said things like raised her hand to speak in class and said I think I'm carrying the devil's baby right now like she believed that she was pregnant with mm -hmm. the devil's baby there's people that are just very incoherent there's people that are pleasantly confused um, and then there's people who are functioning very normally because they're back on their meds. So all that to say, she would sit down at the piano and this group of very disparate people with very disparate life experiences and different levels of functioning and levels of reality at that point mm. would all come together and engage in tasks. And I didn't really understand what was going on too much when I was a student, but I did know that she let me be involved. I saw some really cool experiences where people were able to support other people that were grieving, um, going through losses. And I was able to, as a guitar player, give one of the group members what we would call clinical guitar lessons. I didn't think of it like that. And I definitely wasn't operating at that high of a level yet. I was just teaching this guy how to play a couple of songs that he asked for. And then the cool thing was, I think that next week or the week after I spent a couple of weeks or a couple of times either way going and working with him and then he was able to perform that for the group and I think I accompanied him and I think if I remember correctly we did like Billy Jean or something like mm -hmm. that we did some Michael Jackson and for me just that first example of seeing and it, like I said I didn't know this at the time but I'm I, I really like there's a lens of music therapy called community music therapy and resource oriented music therapy this is really getting down on the rabbit hole but basically the the lens is kind of like a sociological perspective on music therapy that sees people that need music therapy or need any support really as um, people that need to know new resources or be connected to old resources obviously that could be people places things coping strategies, you know, wellness models, whatever. And for me, seeing him be able to not be a psychiatric patient, but to be a person that was providing entertainment to that room, and he was what I would call performing health, mm. was 
just so awesome and so moving. And I was like, sign me up. So I went and signed up. I went to the only college in my state, uh, never changed my major. Uh, there were times that the schooling was difficult and music therapy schooling demands quite a bit because usually music majors demand quite a bit of time. Um, I mean, there were times when semesters that I had 12 classes or more in my music school, I even had zero credit classes, one credit classes that I went four times a week, uh, different things like that. But uh, generally the path of music therapy is to do your undergraduate program or a master's equivalency program that includes psychology classes, music classes, music therapy classes, um, anatomy, human development, abnormal psychology, uh, as well as field work and practicum experiences. After that, you usually go on to an internship of six months or more where you're kind of intense you're basically the apprentice of the mm -hmm. music therapist or team of music therapists leading up to slowly being the person in charge of even if it's a small caseload you know you're learning how to do it and after that you can sit for your board certification exam after you've fulfilled those 1200 hours of uh pre-professional training and the board certification exam uh, it's kind of a standard sit at an H&R Block, a computer testing center, take your test and mm -hmm. uh, find out then and there if you made it or not. And then after that, you're you're free to practice. So I interned at a large hospital, university-based hospital and um, loved it. I got to work with a wide variety of populations, mostly adult, but it was palliative care you know, neuro, psych units, um, general medical ICUs, some pediatrics. Um, so that was fun. After that, we moved to Florida and were close to Mickey Mouse in Orlando for a few years and uh, worked at a large hospital system. And I mostly was the pediatric music therapist there working in a wide variety of uh, populations. And then most recently, last year, my family and I moved back to the Kentucky area to be kind of closer to home, and I've accepted a job in my alma mater, and we have a university clinic on campus, and that is even a little bit even more diverse, and uh, because it is almost like a private practice, mm -hmm. uh, but it's affiliated with the university, so I see all kinds of facilities, senior living, um addiction recovery, adults with intellectual disabilities. We host camps and summer camps and different things like that as well as see a lot of individuals on and off campus. Obviously, that was all pre-coronavirus. Then it all <laughs> kind of transitioned to telehealth. And I'm slowly, as of like this week that we're recording in early August, I've started um, reopening the clinic but I'm still getting all the policies and procedures. I haven't seen mm -hmm. a person in the clinic yet, but yeah. working on that and figuring out how am I going to balance the telehealth with the in-person because I think it's going to be great and that'll be a great option. But that's kind of the abbreviated version. I know there's probably a few stops along the way that maybe we'll revisit, but yeah, that's a little bit mm -hmm. about how I got to here. 
Awesome. Yeah, I am. I know a little bit about uh, kind of music therapy in the UK. And um, I think that the the route is maybe a little bit different uh, to the US. Um, Usually it's a a master's, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure about you know, like a, a test at the end and that kind of thing. But yeah, really interesting to, to hear the process. And what kind of struck me with the, the anecdote with uh, the person that you, you were teaching and then they were performing was, and, and music just generally, I think, has this universal power to kind of connect us. And even if we don't understand the music, the words, even if there are no words, it mm-hmm. kind of evokes these feelings. And it's so powerful in that way. But I think that process of learning something and Mm -hmm. being able to perform and like you said not just being a you know psychiatric patient but actually having that sense of achievement of i've learned this i've performed it is just Mm -hmm. such a powerfully rewarding thing as well so i guess that's the kind of i guess maybe part of it that you're you're learning something new you're getting that plus you've got this outlet where you can channel emotions you can kind of express things because i think we have this tendency sometimes to keep things inside don't we we don't want to feel mm-hmm. all of that and I think that's something I I know I definitely use music in that way not in a therapeutic way but just generally like if you're feeling a certain emotion there's certain music that you go to because it's cathartic or it mm-hmm. you know you want to have a good cry to let it out yeah. so you want that or you want angry music you're being angry it's it's so powerful uh, in that in that way so I wonder if we can talk a little bit I'm, I'm a massive geek so I always want to know yeah. this <laughs> about yeah, how it works, how, you know, what is so special about music therapy? How can it help someone who is struggling? Yeah, um, well, there are lots of different mechanistic models to music therapy. Um, There are some kind of indigenous models that people are starting to build up right now. Uh, Traditionally, therapy models out of music therapy have flowed from the general um, therapy mental health fields so in the u.s i'm not sure about uh britain's kind of background with that but i know in the u.s the formal field of music therapy started around world war ii because nurses were providing music for people that were you know at that time they would say experiencing things like shell shock but this could be as early as like recently off the the battlefield dealing with wounds and realizing that there was soothing aspects to music, but there were also contraindications. There were people not able to handle some of the emotions that were brought up, some of the memories that were brought up. So that's basically where people realize, hey, this is good, but we need to figure out how to harness it a little bit and how to refine it and how do we make this um, a legitimate practice. And I think that is one of the one of the things that gets missed is sometimes music can be viewed as benign or always positive where it's there's a lot of things that come with um, the vulnerability of a music experience, the memories associated with music experiences, the different things, the sensory experiences that can have potential to be harmful if not wielded appropriately. So that's that's why I think um, there are a lot of ancillary music professions and helping professions that do great work, but it's under kind of controlled environments. So uh, your listeners probably aren't even aware of those unless they know something about music therapy because they kind of operate. Music therapy is already sometimes seen as like a fringe thing. So those would definitely be more um, esoteric. But 
basically from those traditional theories music therapy developed from you know a behavioral model and a psychodynamic model and um in the 90s i've taken an advanced training on what's called um neurologic music therapy so in the 90s a researcher named michael talt who now kind of has a whole posse of people um he's a german researcher but he's kind of a worldwide guy i think he teaches and works in Canada right now, he started realizing with some different neuro populations how music was being so effective. So uh, Parkinson's, stroke, different people impacted by different neurological disorders, he was realizing that in the brain with early fMRI and things like that that you know music is a whole brain experience you're mm. we're you know lighting up like a fireworks show because you know there's emotional processing in music there's rhythm and autonomic responses to music there's uh, active motor responses to music there's communication if there's lyrics and things going on and it's still communicating something even if there's not lyrics going on so because of that when you know, some of the different ways that people respond to rhythm, people respond to uh, verbal cues, and people respond to melody and dynamics. You can almost treat the different characteristics of music, tempo, uh, dynamics, uh, melody, and pitch as tools that can be manipulated towards getting at the directed outcome. So some of those things might be how you can reteach someone to walk after they've had a stroke using something called rhythmic auditory stimulation and using a strong uh, musical cue. And you could even use music that's familiar. So it's motivating, right? So there's the psychological motivation and things mm -hmm. like that. And using a strong rhythmic cue using maybe a strum pattern or a, if you're using a piano, a, playing pattern that reinforces the pickup to the coming of the next beat and it's predictable and we've noticed that people will start to walk in that steady gait and regain um, even faster than just doing physical therapy so um, there's a lot of research that supports a lot of co-treating music therapists being a part of a team or music therapists just being a primary treatment model with all kinds of populations so that that has been a super effective uh super evidence-based kind of really in that new medical-ish model of therapy but there are still a lot of humanistic practices improvisational creative approach practices that get at some of those things that are harder to quantify about making music um some of the aspects of vulnerability of responsivity of um, how do I process death right so maybe working mm -hmm. in hospice there could be a spiritual component to what's going on well music has been associated with spiritual practices as long as they've been around mm -hmm. so the kind of interesting thing is I always think of the music room as the therapist the consumer the client how whatever word you want to use and the music so i think of it as a triangle relationship i didn't come up with that by any means but there is an interesting weight i bring my personality my 
therapeutic techniques, my rapport building techniques, but the music is able to pull so much out and do so much. So I'm able to lean on that and trust on that. And uh, it can take me to a lot of different populations and a lot of different places that would look very different what we're doing, what we're achieving, but yet works all, not all the same, but works as effectively across a variety of populations. Amazing. Yeah, I guess it's just that, yeah, so universally accessible, whereas Mm -hmm. sometimes other therapeutic models may or may not be as Mm -hmm. accessible to varied groups. I think in the UK, uh, it was sort of the late 50s that the first sort of body uh, around music therapy came together Mm. Um, and when you were talking about the whole brain um, uh, experience with music um, it made me think of a gentleman called Clive Wearing. I'm not sure if you've come across him in um, kind of uh, psychological memory type research Mm. and so he has um, uh, extreme memory loss he's got about a a six to ten second memory um, Mm. and then it and it resets but when he sits in front of the piano he can just yes. completely remember it. it just kind of comes back and there's, you know, and I, and I think with Alzheimer's um, and as you said, with people who uh, you have other neurological um, challenges or declining functioning, if you like that, there's something about music that can help them to, to yeah. reconnect and yeah, which is just, uh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Alzheimer's and dementia it when I was going through school, it kind of had that really big boom in that and was featured you know on all the national news outlets because uh that documentary alive inside Mm -hmm. came out um around that time and that filmmaker has partnered a lot with music therapists and has been to our conferences so it's cool to kind of work alongside him a little bit what is so interesting about alzheimer's is uh it's almost like some of those deep stored memories are kind of locked away Mm. and using music um, and other meaningful stimuli can help people access that and what we see is things like memory recall Mm. they're able to reminisce they're able to have satisfaction of life in those like lucid moments but those also we know have hangover effects that it could leave them in a positive state for the rest of a day through a sundowning through a negative experience put them in a better emotional state even if they don't remember engaging in that Um, in a music experience they might have a sense of control they get to choose something maybe it's as simple as what color egg shaker they want maybe it's talk what they want to talk about maybe it's they want to say no to doing the active part and they just want to sit and enjoy there's usually a lot of control in the music therapy space that we Mm. can hand over and try and make it an equal partnership as much as possible because i know that's a a hot topic in in therapy spaces um they'll be aware of themselves the environment but the other thing is the caregivers if this person is enjoying therapy is in a positive mood state is singing they're staff caregivers maybe they're at a facility they're going to be less stressed about what they have to provide for them at that moment but they're also 
building a positive relationship. They're getting to know a little bit about, oh, so-and-so likes Elvis or yeah. so-and-so used to dance or their husband was in the war or um, different things like that. They start to see those glimpses of their personality rather than the shell of the personality that they kind of normally get yeah. to interact with. Um, and especially, I mean, so many negative touches i would imagine during the day right like yeah. some of the things they have to do are just not fun and might exacerbate them being uh, yeah. anxious or angry um but i think one of the most interesting things neurologically that's come out in the past few years is how music can act as a buffer towards cognitive degeneration yeah. so nothing nothing stops or corrects alzheimer's or dementia and pretty much any degenerative cognitive condition as of now, I'm hopeful in the future we'll find things mm -hmm. to do that. But um, engaging in music has been shown that even in pre-dementia or even in healthy older adults, that's one of the things that I tell people in general. It's definitely one of the main wellness takeaways is um, engaging in music at any age especially learning a new instrument mm. is a huge protective block for your brain. Um, so there's, there's a research today. I'll have to give you that citation um, where I think it was roughly 55 to 65 year olds joined a piano program, a class. Mm. Uh, there's been similar things with choirs and things like that. Um, and that social aspect as well as learning that new skill um, and all the things that go into, and I think most of those people had not traditionally really learned an instrument or it hadn't been since, you know, elementary yeah. school, things like that. So, and it, it staved off, they had better scores and things like that, uh, long-term against, um, things like dementia. And they were basically staving off those kind of things. So we know keeping the brain active, um, not just with music, but with whatever is going to be helpful. But mm -hmm. music being a complex task could be a great option if somebody has the uh, physical faculties as well to do those things. Um, mm -hmm. And there are a lot of adaptations maybe, you know, that can be made to physical instruments. People do all kinds of crazy things to make instruments more accessible for, mm -hmm. you know, if someone's aging. But there are a lot of things for people with different uh, developmental disabilities. Like I use a lot of interesting instruments that, you know, maybe we're using some kind of therapeutic wrap around their hand so they can hold a mallet. Uh, maybe we're using technology that can sample or trigger mm -hmm. instruments and things like that. There are a lot of people doing a lot of creative MacGyvering of instruments. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's one of the populations that it's really easy to show and see the effects because uh, it's so moving to see someone go from that sometimes even catatonic state to engaging in music, singing, talking about music, having a, emotive moments. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, because I think music has that, that kind of memory trigger, doesn't it? So, you know, I can definitely think of just particular albums that I mm -hmm. you know, listened to death to at a particular time. So there's some that are like related to places because I was on holiday there at the time. And so that mm -hmm. reminds me of, of there even now. So that, that has that really powerful aspect and you know, absolutely that learning kind of creating those new pathways in the brain. But I think with music as well, because it is, 
or it can be, I think when you're first learning, it can be frustrating, but it can be really, (laughs) really enjoyable. It's, it's very complex in that way. It's very enjoyable. It's very emotive. Like you said, it's that learning. And I, we've had something over the past few years in the UK. I don't know if you've had similar of rock choirs kind of popping up. So, Mm. um, a lot of women actually who are just kind of joining, yeah, joining these choirs, um, to sing kind of more modern songs and kind of rocky songs. So you have that kind of community, but that, and it's, you don't have to audition. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter how you sing. Mm-hmm. It's just, you're going to sing. And I, I guess that's my next question. Cause I think with creative um, arts and creative therapy, you know, there sometimes can be that, Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not very good at that. I can't, I can't uh-huh. draw. I can't paint. I can't, I'm not musical. I'm tone deaf. And I wonder if you hear that a lot and if you can, yeah, talk to us about that is it true can you ever not be musical enough to engage with it well yeah it's very common i would say that goes right up there with the what is music therapy or what do you even do <laughs> and up there with you can get paid for that yeah <laughs> so is it a real the, job <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah is it a real job and i think just also like art therapists dance therapists drama therapists all of us creative arts therapists are very used to dealing and navigating with those kind of questions and also dealing with the hesitance, like it is okay. And there are lots of ways to interact and consume music. And there's lots of ways to do that in therapy as well. Mm -hmm. um, There's a traditional uh, kind of way of thinking about music therapy as uh, the different types of experiences could be receptive, compositional, improvisational and I'm leaving one out what am I leaving out let's see I'll say them again in case I I don't remember improvising recreating composing and listening so uh, receptive experiences so receptive things could be therapy session that is more involved maybe with music listening and then lyric analysis lyric discussion it could be a receptive method in the hospital to manage pain or anxiety it could be something like a guided relaxation um, and just because it says receptive doesn't mean that there's not active work by the uh, by the client it just means from a musical standpoint they might not have to contribute in an active way, but I would argue, I mean, you have to listen, you have to listen actively, you have to respond, there's a lot going on. So that's what I encourage people is like, even if you don't play a note on an instrument, you're doing a lot of work. There's a lot of emotional weight, you come into a place where you're ready to interact, you know, you're putting your arms down, your defenses down, you're being vulnerable, you're letting this weird person play music to you. (laughs) And um, recreating would be things that like, kind of like I did with that first story I told you, that's taking familiar music, and maybe you're extending it, maybe you're using it for a specific purpose. But like, for his example, we were recreating it, like I said, to perform health, Uh, improve his self-esteem also just improve his skills on the guitar and different things like that and composing obviously that could be things like songwriting that's a any any kind of creating experience where you're doing something new and that could come from an improvisational model but generally improvisational models of music therapy are um, kind of process oriented it's not very much about the composition and not that compositional approaches are Um, they're also very much about that process, but improvisational is usually viewed as very in the moment, um, Mm. 
almost like a musical acting out of a conversation or a relationship that can be used with all kinds of populations. But the research started with, there are some music therapists um, and a team, Clive Robbins and um, Paul Nordoff, who have done a lot of work in Britain and would be names that your British crowd are super familiar with. Um, they kind of pioneered that and they had this belief of the music child that there's this person that we can all access within us uh, from a humanistic lens that um, in a space where you can create that rapport building, where you can create create a space that you can make that happen in the improvisational world, that person can play and that person can grow because there's probably a period where there's been um, stunting or things that they need that have not been delivered, needs unmet, and that musical child, the therapy process in that trust that you're going to discover the things that need to be worked on um, there in the moment in the improvisation. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of improvising, then indexing, going back and looking at what happened, mm -hmm. maybe composing songs out of that that could become ritual songs in therapy while still also incorporating new improvisational experiences. So it's kind of a long game therapy approach that kind of works on a lot of even clients that um, – which is common in music therapy, especially with a lot of the different special needs or uh, he, people find that other therapies may have worked, but kind of have hit a wall. So music therapy sometimes can come in as an adjunct that is just left field, totally different to what's been working or not working well or not working at all um, in a medical model. And we can operate from, um, what I always think is interesting is that really digging into the indigenous and musical model of therapy because, uh, you know, I'm a music therapist, so although I love all of the medical outcomes and the evidence base and the different things we can do, I also love just what makes us different mm -hmm. and providing experiences that really capitalize on um, the term they call it, the verb is musicking. So it's that act of making music together. Uh, that's another word that a lot of your British crowd should be aware of, should already be aware of. Mm. So, uh, and that's just the act of making music, whether that is receptive or not. So I can't even remember where we started on this question. But <laughs> we, oh, about, yeah, about people who say, oh, I'm not musical. I, you yeah. Know, kind of oh, yeah. So basically, uh, the music space is a very inviting one, but there are... There are people who have contraindications. So contraindications is still a thing. Um, you know, in the hospital, if someone's had a car accident and they're, we're worried about their intracranial pressure raising too high, well, music stimulation could be agitating to that. Um, there could be emotional responses that people aren't ready to have. Um there could be physical experiences that could be painful by engaging in, in music in a certain way. So there are things to consider contraindication-wise. And then there are very rarely, uh, I think Oliver Sacks has written about cases of things, I think it's called amusia, amusia uh, sorry, amusia, which is like an inability to like process music mm. appropriately. 
or whatever. I don't know all the all the details, but there are people who like physically can't enjoy music. Mm-hmm. Um, but even deaf populations and hard of hearing populations are being served well in music therapy. That's not one I've worked with a lot, but I know that a lot of music therapists do. Um, eat with or without things like cochlear implants, they're using the vibrations and mm. the uh, acoustic properties of music to engage with clients. So if someone who is clinically deaf is enjoying music therapy, it's hard for me to believe that there's a person in the hospital um, that can't get something out of it. Now, if they want to turn it away, that's yeah. a different story. That's okay. Sometimes you need your space. But sometimes it can be an excuse when they really want to tell me they just don't want to do that or they feel uncomfortable about that. And like, that is okay too. You don't have to feel comfortable, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting thing in the, the creative uh, spaces where quite often as children, we're very experimental, but as adults mm-hmm. particularly, it can be that you pick up a guitar and I can't play it right away. So I'm not going to, I can't yeah. do it. I'm not. It's defeating. Um, yeah. And, and so I think sometimes it can be, it can be that. And I think one of the things with, creative arts therapies is you know quite a lot of um it's a lot of the emotional stuff that we kind of bury down that in therapy we kind of have to yeah we have to sort of bring it up and do something with it and process it to kind of move through it and if you are shutting it down so much and I am a real uh, logical person so I'm a rationalizer mm-hmm. rather <laughs> so um but because music is so emotive and it's so emotion-based it kind of, and like you said, that people might have emotions that they're not prepared for, they're not ready to deal with. But mm-hmm. music kind of gets straight there to that emotion, and it kind of bypasses the logical side of the brain, and then it's it's there. But I love when you were talking about the composing and improvising because I just had a flashback to when I had piano lessons when I was younger, so probably mm. about ooh seven, eight, nine, something like that. And uh, so we obviously had our lessons, and then we, <laughs> me and my sister, and. Um, then we would always have to show our teacher what we had composed, but it was not composed. We're just like improvising, like, look at this, like composed and it's that complete That's cute. Not understanding the difference, but you just like make something up. But you know, I think if it if you'd recorded it, it would have been really interesting to see like what what's the patterns I'm using, what's the yeah. kind of rhythm? Is it what's is what's the key? Is it um mm-hmm. do they yeah. do you always pick the same key or is it a different key? What does that say yeah. about that day? And yeah, there's a lot of analytic processing there's a whole branch called analytic music therapy that really focuses on those nuances of what what are people choosing and doing sometimes even as simple as what song are they choosing to listen to in therapy and what does that say yeah have you heard the um what is it is it the three chord songs or four chord songs of these yep yeah 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 all all these popular songs got the same chords because they just sound nice to us and they're just like up and it's Yeah, it's it's so interesting, I think. And you can really geek out about this, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But um, I have some set questions I ask everyone, so it'd be great. Let's go for it. Yeah, yeah. your thoughts on these. So my first question is, what brings you joy in your life? Mm, a couple of things. And ironically, I'm not going to say music because there are interesting things that come up when you choose to have a career in music. Uh Although I would say I'm at a place now where music almost always is joyful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it always gets muddy when it becomes work, right? So uh, that's that wasn't 
a given, and I think that's a challenge that people have to navigate is what is their new relationship to music? Because mm -hmm. uh, you have, if you don't have that in check, why should you be bringing music to someone else? But uh, that's a tangent. So I would say for me, um, I mean, spirituality and my family is huge. Mm -hmm. um, we we talked about my uh, my clip clopping doggies above me. Um, <laughs> There are fur members of our family. I've got um, a daughter and my wife and uh, our extended family is all close by. So those are that that's it for me, that and friends. So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I think as you just your little tangent, as you said, I think that's really complicated sometimes when something that brings you joy is a career and managing that. And I I played music when I was younger. I loved music and then I didn't do it for GCSE, which is our kind of um, year of exams at like 15, 16. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it because I thought, no, I love it. I don't want to Yeah, it. it's your thing. Yeah, you can but keep then, it as your thing. Then, <laughs> for some reason, the next level up at 17, 18, I was like, I'm going to do music. And I did a year of music. And I realized, you know, like analyzing all of the, you know, why have they done that? And I was like, I don't really care that much. I just like how it sounds or it feels. Yeah. And actually that, I, yeah, I kind of backtracked on, oh, I, you know, I will do it, even though it might ruin the joy. And I, and I just did a year of it and dropped it because, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that it wasn't how I liked to enjoy and experience the music. So I think that's, there's this lovely ideal, isn't there, of find something that brings you joy and do that for your career. But mm -hmm. it's, yeah, managing that. Is... Yeah, there's a lot of research that's come out that, like, refutes that as well, mm -hmm. which is interesting. You know, it seems... I mean, our culture today makes that seem very like, yeah, chase your joy, chase your passion. Yeah. But there's also a lot of like, but what are you doing outside of that? What are your hobbies? What are you fulfilled in? And for me, uh, that's kind of why I meant said spiritual and family first. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a danger, I think, to putting your career, putting your passion, whatever, on a pedestal because there inherently you start putting your value into that your worth into that and um then a global pandemic comes and <laughs> i'm seeing about 30 percent of my clientele and all on the internet in a way that is not what i think is 100 percent ideal what do you do even even in that situation i had to deal with the funk the um mm. you know is this dragging on this is an ideal uh and even that is still providing a lot of weirdness and like, you know, satisfaction issues with work mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, but even though music therapy is a big part of me, I would not say that it is me. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that is, and you know, I, I derive a lot of my meaning out of my spirituality. So for me, what do I look to, to stay satisfied? And what do I look to, to find meaning? Um, I would just tell people to be careful about that because, um, if you put things on a pedestal, they can be knocked off. So, uh, yeah. you could just as easily lose, lose your health. Um, you know, music could be very fickle. I could, I've cut my finger before and it's been hard to be a music therapist at, because I wasn't paying enough attention while I was cooking dinner. So, and you know, that happened during my thesis when I'm trying to uh, <laughs> conduct a research study and suddenly I have to figure out what I'm going to do because one of my fingers is kind of in, in, uh, inusable for, uh, unusable for a couple of weeks. So it, it can be that fickle for 
in music, but also for a lot of things like people, you know, we need our voice. We need to be able to walk. We need to be, and not that people don't navigate these barriers every day, but if you're used to one thing and it's yanked away, it's going to feel rough. So. And when I think if the thing that brings you joy is an outlet or part of your self-care or that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. then yeah, if it gets too tied up in career space and you have those frustrations, then what do you turn to for that? that mm-hmm. kind of release valve for, for pressure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my next question, you kind of already segued into this a little bit, which is what makes life meaningful for you? <laughs> so, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that one, I would say I derive a lot of meaning out of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it as to, and this is, you know, totally my own view, not necessarily anything that reflects anything about music therapy as a whole. But for me, Uh, I see music as evidence of, for me, creation and my spiritual perspective. But even without that, it's interesting to me just looking at why music operates the way it does. Neuroscientists are still totally puzzled why music can um, interact with our brain the same way as things like food and sex and safety do. Like what, why there's no biological reason that our mind should be concerned about how cool that chord progression is or how uh, dope that beat is or, you know, anything like that, why it should matter and why those lyrics are so touching. Um, So I derive a lot of meaning about the kind of historical, philosophical and sociological view of music and what that means to humanity so I find a lot of meaning in that, a lot of meaning, again, in in my faith and in my family. And yeah, I would say those are kind of the three pillars, I would say. But yeah, music gets kind of thrown back into that equation because for me, it's evidence that uh, there is something deeper to this and something shared, communal to this, and something that anybody can access if they want to. Yeah, awesome. Cool. So my, my next uh, two questions, our kind of overarching aim on the podcast is about mental wellness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the first question is, what does mental wellness mean to you? Mm. Well, I kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier, but the I was really blown away a couple of years ago when I really started digging into the resource-oriented and community music therapy models. And what I liked a lot about that was the idea of performing health. Uh, So health is not viewed as healthy, unhealthy, but rather a continuum. Mm -hmm. And um, that'll be nothing new to all your wellness listening gurus here. But um, basically looking at, am I building up or am I tearing down my wellness right now? And even though there might be aspects of me that are less well, quote unquote, than others, what am I doing to stay healthy in all kind of domains of my life, physically, uh, emotionally, spiritually, cognitively, and thinking of all those different buckets, not as islands, but as integrated, interconnected um, items with the idea of also we are social beings that also live in a world where our our bubbles also connect with everyone else's bubbles, including our community, including our local community, our bigger community, um, even in a time where everybody has to Zoom with everybody and, uh, 
can't give people hugs and high fives and you know all those warm fuzzy things that honestly i think we're going to be dealing with for a long time it seems like at least until there's a vaccine so mm. i think people providing experiences of mental wellness are going to be very in need mm. for the next while because we're going to have a population that's very in need of experiences that bring meaning and health and wellness so for me it's that idea of how do i perform health and what what am, what do i think metacognition wise what do i think about you know the thoughts that i'm having where are they taking me um and how do i make those thoughts serve a healthy version of me instead of a you know some kind of script or schema that is um not serving myself and others so awesome and then my, my follow-on question is for you how do you do that <laughs> so how do you look yeah. after your mental well-being for yourself uh, well you know it's always a moving target mm-hmm. uh, I would say uh, my number one kind of buffer is always spiritual practices so for me that's um, reading scriptures and meditating on them and um, communal practices like going to church and I'm on the worship team, the worship band, serving and volunteering. And then personally, I do a lot with music. So outside of music therapy, um, I have my podcast that talks to a lot of musicians and I am learning how to become a recording engineer. So I'm learning a lot about audio engineering Mm -hmm. i play i've got a guitar a bass a pedal steel guitar a banjo um keyboard so i play lots of instruments um i'm always wanting to learn more so music is a big part but i mean good old like every once in a while just vegging out with good old netflix and Mm -hmm. uh, watching some good shows and uh, my wife and i have tried to be intentional with that in a way of like how can we make it something that's like a common shared goal, right? Like, so there's a a little bit more meaning to the mindless watching. So mm-hmm. like, for example, during all of this, we're like, you know what? Let's watch all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies yes. together. Yeah. So I had only seen a handful of them. What? I know. It was weird. <laughs> I, I'm kind of cantankerous and rebellious. So like when everybody likes something, I kind of like push it to the side and then I usually <laughs> find it later. Um, no, but yeah, we just finished all of those except Ant-Man and the Wasp was on Netflix, but it got pulled because it's about to be on Disney plus. So we're in this like waiting period of like a week and then I will have seen them all because we just bought the Spider-Man, um, far from home, which was got really good too. So yeah, we, I mean, (laughs) love Marvel in our household and we've seen them all multiple times, but I realized I've got quite a DC desk going on so i got my my mm. wonder woman mug oh, and i also have um up here this is antiope from uh, <laughs> so people can't see this is one of the funko pops uh so actually my partner bought it for me i've got a wonder woman in um on my bookshelf uh, next to the Great. bed and then he got me a little antiope for my desk so she's kind of got can't a bow and help. arrow she's yeah i can't there. help to keep dc's gotta sneak in there some too right <laughs> yeah That's i'm not good. sure if i've got any marvel stuff in this room actually it's all Ooh, no, we really enjoyed it. I thought the Guardians of the Galaxy were definitely my favorite. Mm. Uh, but the Avengers movies, man, those last ones really I could I remember when they were coming out, people were like, Oh yeah. 
And now I'm like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. It's totally crazy. I, so. Yeah, I think I love them all. I loved Black Panther. I love oh. Thor Ragnarok, like the score, like all the jazz. Yeah. And the bridge scene, like the immigrant oh, song, like goodness. Zeppelin. It's just that like such, yeah. I think that's what they do. And the Guardians as well. It's really clever, like the use of music mm-hmm. through the film and, and how it ties in is that they all have amazing soundtracks. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Great fun. So we're getting off on a tangent now. (laughs) No, but yeah, very cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, my next question uh, is, can you describe your own mindset? Mm. Hmm. I know you left it intentionally vague, but what do you mean by mindset? (laughs) I mean, this is part of the fun because it's how people define it themselves. Um, But if you want me to give you... (laughs) Give me just a little. Give me just a little. Yeah. So I guess your kind of attitude to life. Okay. Um, my mindset has changed a lot over the years, but, um, I would definitely say that I, I'm a pretty laid back guy, but, um, I've also grown to be less of a disorganized, less of a like creative, trying to nail jello on a tree kind of person too. um, you know, through getting a master's through, publishing some articles through marrying a very type a person i've become a very orderly person i'm still you know i wouldn't call myself totally an organized person but um i would say my mindset is usually like uh let's let's let things play out um i generally have a fairly optimistic outlook on things uh and part of that i've I don't know how many of your listeners have done things like the Enneagram tests, but I'm an Enneagram type nine, which is, they call it the peacemaker. Mm. And when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, they're like, if I had a diary, they'd be stealing from it. Um, So it's that idea of uh, creating peace and harmony and not really wanting conflict. Learning a lot about how to deal with conflict has been a big professional and obviously honestly personal growth Mm. um but i would say my mindset is generally just informed like it's gonna be okay um you know we're gonna figure it out and from a spiritual perspective it's like we're gonna have exactly what we need exactly when we need it and um we don't know why all the chess pieces are moving the way they are but um, we can rest assured that we're going to be, uh, stronger for it, prepared with what we need when what we, uh, prepared with what we need when we get there. And, um, ultimately like, how do I help me be the best me and help other people be the best them? Mm. So. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so my next question is uh, so we always try and leave people with kind of practical takeaways of, of yeah. things that they can try so we've obviously really yeah kind of talked about music therapy and kind of how it works but i guess um you can do any type of general tips but possibly around you know people listening to this thinking oh i want i want a little bit of that how can i use music in 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 my life to help me but do you have one to three tips that you would suggest yeah. people try um, there's a lot of research on using music for kind of personal or just wellness kind of things. And I'll get, try and give you a couple of different ones um, that 
like we said, you don't have to be even be a musician to use any of these things. So one, most people get this intuitively, but music and exercise are, there's a lot of sports science research, music research, all kinds of uh, data that shows if you're using music to help you engage physically, you're going to work out longer, you're going to work out harder, and you're like mentally not going to feel as taxed as you worked. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would say I know there's probably other things out there, but not that I'm a, a huge runner, but when I do... <laughs> I like this app a lot called Nike Fit Radio. So Nike made this uh, app that has this cool thing that you can pick different genres. Most of them are like electronic. So you can kind of like yeah. zone out and it's like you're like <laughs> run into some house music or something. But they have it by like BPM or you can say like I'm running, I'm walking. I'm... So they've matched it because you want to try and get the music to be in roughly the range of you know the intensity and the speed especially if you're running or something, if you can match it close to your gate, mm. you're going to speed down and slow up uh, or speed up and slow down. But <laughs> if you can match it sort of too, that will help you be in sync. Our bodies love to be in sync rhythmically. Okay. So the second thing I would tell people to do is to learn an instrument at any age, any ability level. Uh, and just know think of it as a wellness thing. Like if that seems super stressful to you, think of it as like, Hey, I'm just learning this as an extra thing that maybe it can become a hobby. Maybe it can be super meaningful, but maybe I just played around the house and I never performed for anyone other than the cats and the dogs. So you don't have to make this your career. We live in a world that everything needs to be a side hustle, right? Do it for fun. Do it for enjoyment. Do it for enjoyment fulfillment learn your favorite songs um you know you don't have to hop straight to guitar a lot of people find that super challenging it usually takes a couple of months before you sound remotely good and i mean like at all and even then you have to learn how to keep the thing in tune so one instrument that i would recommend is um the ukulele it's only got four strings it sounds happy even an open strummed ukulele sounds pretty sonorous so ukulele could be a good first stop for string instruments um piano there's like crazy amount of tutorials on youtube you know you could never pay a cent and learn an instrument nowadays but it also would be easy to connect and learn an instrument and find somebody who's teaching in your local area too um let's see any other tips i've got for you lastly here's another good tip music and relaxation or focus so a lot of people um, tell me things like oh i don't like to use music to go to sleep or oh i don't like to use music when i study well research has actually come out that which may be obvious to some people i i'm aware but music without lyrics for one is going to be the best music uh that's non-familiar is also going to be so this could be where like pandora comes into play right like you want some randomized music that you don't have to really stress about or like a youtube playlist and um you know if you're not that big into classical music type classical piano but if you are 
you love classical and you know who played what song and who composed that and uh, you know which version of the recording you're listening to, don't pick that because that's going to distract you. So uh, there's a lot of cool, like they call it like the lo-fi hip-hop uh, movement. So a lot of people are creating that, um, which is kind of cool, Back can be background music and things like that. Um, and then on YouTube, there's a lot of free resources for like guided relaxations. So guided music relaxations, my podcast, I even have an episode at the beginning of coronavirus. Everything felt so tense. I put out a bonus episode and was like, hey, uh, here's a guided relaxation. So um, that would be a cool stop for your listeners if they want to figure out what that's like. I lead them through some breathing exercises and then some visual visualization experiences. And as a music therapist, I just use the music to enhance that experience so that's me playing it live as well awesome and you mentioned your podcast and that leads us perfectly to our last question I ask everyone is where people can find you online if they want to connect with you if they want to find out more about your clinic or the work you do where can they yeah. find you well a uh, couple of different things I don't know I'll probably figure it out off air and give you this link but in the US if you want to find a music therapist you can go to cbmt.org, that's Certification Board of Music Therapists. Uh, if you want to learn more about music therapy, there's musictherapy.org, that's the American Music Therapy Association. We're going to find out some other good resources. I know there's the British Association of Music Therapy. I don't know exactly what their website is. It might be that easy. Wait, I can find it for the show notes. So. Yeah, yeah. So there are a few different places that if you just want more general information. If you want to know and follow what I'm up to, my clinic is um, at U of L M T C. So that's for University of Louisville Music Therapy Clinic. That's on Facebook and Instagram. From there, you can find our links to our website if you want more information. We do offer telehealth. We could figure out things across the world if you wanted to. Um, but if you just want to check us out, give us a thumbs up and support what we're doing, that would be great as well. Like, um, and finally, I hinted at this a couple of times since, uh, this year I've started hosting my own podcast called make more music that I wanted to dispel the myth that it's all starving artists and rock star and really show all the different ways people are making livings in not only like traditional, like I'm an artist playing music, but what are all the things that people do? So there's audio engineers, there's people working on staff at churches there's sound healers there's lots of music therapists there's people working at companies that build musical instruments and things like that so my plan is just to talk to a lot of interesting people doing a lot of interesting things anywhere in the venn diagram close to music and share some tips for people to be able to make more music so you can find that on any pod catcher at make more music uh we're on instagram at make.more.music and um if they want to see all of our links they can visit i'll give you this link to put in there but our link tree is uh link l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash make.more.music uh that kind of has the links if you want to find out which podcast app you want to use other than that if they want to send me an email uh, if you all have any other questions about making music or music therapy or whatever, you can send me an email at makemoremusicpodcast at gmail.com.
So yeah, thank you, Chris, so much. Um, I gave you like a how long it would take, and we sort of just kind of went off on loads of tangents. So I'm sorry, <laughs> way longer that's than we said. That's how podcasting uh, yeah. works. Yeah, I think sometimes you're in like a really great conversation and you just kind of go with it. But I really enjoyed speaking with you. So thank you so much uh, for joining me. And yeah, sorry if the audio is a bit patchy, guys. I had a bit of a uh, IT breakdown in the. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. It was it was awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing it. So thanks again to Chris, one, for joining me and and sharing his story about music therapy and and everything that we talked about. Also for his patients, because we did have, um, yeah, a few technical issues. And as I mentioned on Monday, a massive thank you to Zoom for helping me with the technical issues, because... I don't know uh, if I'd gone back to Chris and said, oh, that whole hour that we recorded, uh, sorry, <laughs> I've lost the audio. Um, I'm not sure how well that would go down. I, I don't know. Chris uh, seems very chilled, so I'm sure it would have been fine, but I'm so glad that I didn't have to do that. And it's all it's all here and it's all come out to you. So, yeah, I really hope that you've enjoyed it and put on some tunes. I recommend a kitchen dance party or other room of your house. But music definitely uh, really, really powerful for me, really healing, very emotional, as I think often a lot of the arts are. And I, and I think it's something as a, as a teacher observing in education that sometimes, unfortunately, when we focus on literacy and numeracy and, that, and those kind of skills, which are really important, I'm not saying that they are not, but things like the arts can and the humanities actually as well can get squeezed out because of funding or because of time or for whatever reason but they are so so valuable and I think if we think about lockdown previously possibly this one as well the things that we turn to for our entertainment or amusement or just to keep saying maybe are often the arts music theatre film books they are a, a massive, massive part of our lives, or, or my life anyway. But I'm sure it's something that uh, that resonates for, for a lot of you as well. Massive thanks to Chris. And I hope that you have a good week. Look after yourself. Be kind to yourself. And if you have enjoyed this episode and love the show generally, please do rate, review and share it. It really does mean a lot to me and hopefully helps us to reach more people who might enjoy what we're, what we're talking about here. So with all that, take care of yourself, and I will speak to you Monday. Bye. <laughs>